If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, a podcast that gets curiouser and curiouser. My name is Becca, and you're entirely bonkers, but I'll tell you a secret, all the best people are. My name is Josh, and oh frab just day, Kalu Kalei. And neither of those are actual quotes from Mad Hatter in the DC comic books. That's not true. <laughs> the Mad Hatter in the DC comic books quotes Alice in Wonderland all the time. Okay, so by proxy, we are actually quoting him. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a comic <laughs> somewhere where he said the things that we just said. Hopefully. Get at us if you can find it. I know for sure that he said the one that I said. Yeah. Yeah. Either in like a in a TV show or, or a video game or something, I've definitely heard the DC character Mad Hatter say those words. But he said it like, Oh, Fred, just day, Kalukale. Definitely. More like that. Yeah. So we're a Batman podcast. That's true. And we're a couple. Yeah. We talk about Silver Age comic books. And villains. And it's a different villain every every episode, most of the time. Yes. Um, and we also like to talk about the wider DC universe and all the new fun things happening within it. Uh-huh. Uh, the biggest news being the Justice League trailer that dropped this week. Yay! Great! Ja- Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League coming to your eyeballs four hours long. Everyone, you better watch it in one sitting or else. Everyone is so excited. Everyone's so excited. I know at least a couple people who are pretty excited about it. Yeah, a bunch of weirdos. No, good people. <laughs> good people who have good opinions. Um, Trash opinions. No, we're going to give it the benefit of the doubt. We're going to watch it. I regret to inform you that we're going to watch it. Just listen, jump into your uh, your news about it okay. and, and we'll uh, we'll go ahead and talk. So the Justice League trailer dropped this week and I thought the best way to talk about it was to make a top five list of cringiest moments. Yeah, your BuzzFeed top five. Top five. Um, well, before I get into that, what did you think of the trailer? Did any moments stand out to you? Um Do you have any strong opinions on it? I mean, I watched the first Justice League version the one that like got that was what was it 80% Joss Whedon's or 60% Joss Whedon's I don't know what the actual breakdown was something like that yeah um and it wasn't a good movie it was 60% Joss Whedon 40% Henry Cavill's naked bare lips (laughs) (laughs) mustacheless face (laughs) that was edited out Yeah. yeah Um, I didn't like that, and after seeing this trailer, I don't think I'll like this either. Yeah. I haven't liked the other Snyder DC movies. Yeah. I really didn't like Batman v Superman, and I yeah. think you told me we watched the extended version. We did. There's like a lot of Snyder Snyder fans out there that are like, well, if you don't watch the extended version, you don't really understand his true vision. And I watched the extended version, and I was like, this is long and boring and confusing. <laughs> Here's the thing about Zack Snyder, is I do understand his true vision, and I don't like what I see. <laughs> um, I I used to think I liked Watchmen, but 
I do not. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff about the Watchmen movie that just misses the mark on what the comic is trying to say. Zack Snyder's uh, the kind of comic fan who thinks Rorschach is so cool and so right. Yeah, Rorschach <laughs> is supposed to be a guy who you don't like because he's sexist and uh, like racist and stuff. Yeah. And you're supposed to be like, wow, this guy's a real jerk, but he thinks he's a hero. But Zack Snyder's like, wow, that guy's a hero. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's the truth teller. Yeah. His favorite newspaper is like the modern day equivalent to like, would be like ONN. Yeah, the blaze or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's just like this right wing rag. Yeah. Um, and he's like, eh, that's where I'm going to send my manifesto. And they probably did print it. Which Maybe. Is good for them. Sure. <laughs> which led to the formation of the, uh, what is what that? They, the this cavalry? Tinfoil heads or whatever. They're, no. <laughs> the, the guy in, in the TV series? Yeah, the cavalry. About? What? I forgot what their first name was. Oh, I don't know. Something. That show is good, though. It is a very good show. Shout out to Regina King. Um, anyway, or, oh yeah, so Justice League. Yeah, we're talking uh, about the Justice League trailer. You were going four, into your top five list. Okay, my top five cringiest moments from the Justice League trailer. Um, number one, when it first starts, there's like, okay, actually no, number zero. I'm going to back all the way up. Wait, wait, was, wait, wait, oh, oh, I think I should say, before we go through these, we should invite the audience to pause the podcast. Oh yeah, pause the podcast. Go and watch the trailer. It's yeah. only like two and a half minutes long. Yeah. So that you'll know exactly what we're talking about. So yeah. I'm giving you like a second right here. Pause. Okay, unpause. Yeah, we're <laughs> back. back. We're back. I hope you liked it. Crazy, right? Um, okay, but okay, number zero, because I accidentally clicked on this when I was looking to rewatch the trailer on YouTube today, is the teaser trailer that was released uh, a couple months ago, reuses the Leonard Cohen song Hallelujah, which was featured prominently in the worst love scene ever filmed in Watchmen, which makes me wonder, does Zack Snyder know like more than one song? You think he only knows? He only knows Hallelujah. <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, this will really tug at their heartstrings. Hallelujah. It's going to be great. And it just, I hate it. Every he listens time. to it on repeat in his car. Every he only owns time. one record and puts it on his on his record player. Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. I hate it. Okay, so that's number zero cringiest moments. That's not even from this trailer. Number one. It sounds like in the beginning when that like kind of like it's not quite throat singing music, but that like weird ethereal music. It sounds like it's coming from Superman because that first shot is him with like mouth wide open like yelling at the sky and when you first watch it you're like is he singing and then you're like no no no, he's just screaming <laughs> and there's music underneath um number two alfred saying if you can't bring down the charging bull then don't wave the red cape at it i just thought it was <sighs> okay so he's obviously so, so he's referring to dark side no he's referring to steppenwolf Oh, okay, okay. Who kind of looks like a bull because he's got like a little horns oh, that's true. on the he side does, of his head. Yeah. And the red cape is Superman's red cape. Yeah. It's just so stupid and obvious. And yeah. another Watchmen connection, Jeremy Irons plays Alfred, but does a much better job playing Ozymandias in 2019's Watchmen on HBO. Yeah. On HBO Max now. Go watch it. <laughs> it's great. Um, hated that. I just, I don't know. I like had to pause it. I was like, what? Why? That's such a stupid line. <laughs> That's such like an obvious thing to say. Oh, I don't know. Uh, number three and four tie into each other. So Clark is just randomly standing like shirtless on his front lawn in Smallville. I don't know. He's with Lois. There's just like a second shot. I'm just like, why does he not have a shirt on? It's very distracting. And then when there's like a whole series of shots of the Flash saving this lady from a car and he's not wearing his shoes. And I just want to know where everyone's clothes are in this trailer. <laughs> they 
fell off. He did the reshoots so he could get more naked pictures. He could yeah. sell flash feet pics on OnlyFans. Oh, no. <laughs> no, he did the reshoots and they didn't give him all the funding that he wanted so he could only afford part of people's costumes. <laughs> ran, ran out of the budget halfway through. What did um, they give him for this, though? Wasn't it like $460 million or something? Yeah, it was $70 million to uh, <laughs> make the movie longer and have uh, more, I don't know, special effects. And, okay, this is unconfirmed. Um, I heard this from somebody who seems like they know what they're talking about, that this version uh, is going to be, like, basically all Cyborg's story, as the Justice League movie was originally supposed to be all about Cyborg. Yeah, Cyborg only shows up in a few minutes of that movie, yeah. I, I, as I can remember. So if m- this person is right, it's going to be an all-Cyborg movie, it which could kinda, be cool. It kind of makes sense, because Cyborg runs off of Motherbox technology, which plays a big role in, like, the New Gods type things that yeah. happens with Darkseid. Oh my god, I'm going to die if anybody mentions an anti-life equation <laughs> in the Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> He would, too. Um, okay, and of course, drumroll, please. The number one... Wait, <laughs> I can't do a drumroll. Wait a sec. Uh, give me something. <laughs> the number one cringiest moment from this trailer, Joshua, I regret to inform you that we live in a society. Yes. They did it, those mad lads. Yep, they had the Joker say the line. They had the Joker say the funny man line. Uh. We live in a society. Well, what's the full quote? It's like, we live in a society... Where honor is a distant memory. <laughs> Great. And then he's like, isn't that right, Batman? <laughs> he's got huge he's, lips. He's got you makeup s- smeared all over his face. You saw something somewhere that was like, he could kiss Batman with those giant lips. <laughs> yeah. It's the funny. I was like dying after I read that. And he sent me a meme. I was like, "What if we kissed inside the nightmare?" Oh, <laughs> uh, I hope that happens. That would turn this whole movie around for me. If they kiss, if they kiss, probably. You know what? That do would it, be the one redeeming thing. Do it, Zach. You coward. Yeah. You won't. <laughs> um. So yeah. Is that uh, all we had to talk about? Yeah, Justice League. Get at it. Um. You know, coming this spring. Coming in March. On HBO Max. Great. It's going to be four hours long, and that's all I can definitively say about it. (laughs) Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about Future State before we move into the comic that we're covering today. Yeah, go on. Uh, We just got our, like, newest Future State comics that came out this week. Um, It's the, let's see, Batman number four of Future State, Mm -hmm. uh, Nightwing number two, and Catwoman number two, and then from last week that we didn't talk about was, I think it was Robin number two. Mm -hmm. Flash, Teen Titans. Well, yeah, but I'm just going to talk about the Batman line stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I really like the Catwoman comic still. So I thought the first issue was really good, and I also think the second issue was really good. Definitely worth picking up both of those. Um, the Nightwing one was okay for the first one, and then the second one, I really came around to it. I like it. He took a shower in the first one. How did you not like it? <laughs> he was great. Uh, definitely, yeah. Th- those ones are worth picking up. Uh, Catwoman and Nightwing. I'm gonna be honest, the, the, the Batman and the- The next Batman. The next Batman and the Dark Detective one, which is the one that follows, like, Bruce Wayne, um, after being quote-unquote killed and then coming back. Uh, they move too slow for me. Mm. Like there, there, there's a lot of 
build up in those comics and not enough payoff. Mm. I think uh, the the especially the next Batman one I think moves way too slow. Yeah, he does it. He barely solves any mysteries or crimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then the Robin one was really good. I really liked that one. So get like the tertiary ones, and if you don't mind a slow burn, get the bigger ones, like the next Batman and Dark Detective. Yeah, I feel like the next Batman one was mostly just intended to sort of like set up this world with like you know the whole yeah magistrate and everything, and kind of set up like wherever you know Jace is going in the next comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely the next Batman's like some of the stuff that's in the later pages of it, like the the Arkham Knights uh, like group. That, that storyline is cool. That was super cool. And then there's also uh, Gotham City Sirens gets put in that. And uh, that one is also kind of interesting. I especially like the second uh, issue of that, mm-hmm. um, which is it's in like two and four of the Batman Future State comic. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty neat. Uh, Sirens follows uh, Harley. No, not Harley Quinn. Ivy, Poison Ivy and Catwoman as they, like, steal a robot from mm-hmm. a guy who's, like, supplying technology to the magistrate, uh, the the big government agency, or the big, um, sorry, private police agency that the yeah. city's hired. Wasn't Harley in the first one of Gotham City Sirens? I think she was. In yeah, the I think she was. Where they take the little robot to a bar or whatever. Yeah, yeah, she might have been. No, or you might just be thinking of the robot, because the robot sort of has the same color scheme as Harley does. Mm, okay. Like, with bright blue and pink or whatever. Maybe. Um, yeah, no, very interesting. The Batgirls one, I didn't really get. That's also in the Batman comic. Um, but yeah, like I said, pick up the tertiary books. I think they're really good. The Nightwing and Catwoman and Robin, I think they're all, like, really great. Mm -hmm. And if you don't mind the, like, kind of slower burn and world building, go ahead and pick up the, the Batman and the Dark Detective. Because all of them, except for Dark Detective, I think, is still has one more issue coming out. All of them are, like, complete. Yeah. Do you want to go into Squad Goals? Oh, yes. Let's go into squad goals. Great. What's that? Splash. Boom. Something's in the water. It's time for squad goals. Who are we covering today? So, as you may know, the Suicide Squad coming this summer. Today, we are going to talk about one of the characters who is in that movie, and his name is King Shark. Yay! Yay! And I'm excited because there is a lot to talk about with King Shark. He has a really, really interesting backstory, and he's been around for a pretty long time. Really? He's about as old as Harley. Oh, okay. He debuted okay. in the 90s. Um, he didn't debut in like the television show or anything, though, right? No, in the okay. comics, initially. Um, here's what I know about King Shark before you tell me about him. Okay. Uh, I know that he is a Batman villain, mm-hmm. and I know that he is in the Harley Quinn television show, mm-hmm. and he can talk. Yep. Oh, and he was also in one of the animated movies that came out recently mm-hmm. where... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he... No, I'm not talking about it. Oh, okay. It's okay. in my notes. Okay. All right. We'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, all right. So King Shark. He was created in 1994 by writer Carl Kessler and artist Tom Grummet. Uh, Kessler also created Con L, who is the modern Superboy. And he also wrote the issue of the Fantastic Four that reveals that the thing is Jewish. So... <laughs> Thanks for that, Carl. Interesting. Um, So King Shark, whose real name is Nanaue, was born in Hawaii to a mentally ill mother who somehow was able to conceive him with the ancient shark god of the Pacific, whose name is uh, Chandraka. Okay. Chandraka. So he was born a shark man because he is the baby of a shark god. Shark god, yeah. Okay. Chandraka. Go with that. 
Um, so as a child, Nanaue was encouraged by his mother to hunt, and he was responsible for many deaths and disappearances in Hawaii. <laughs> he was eventually captured and tortured uh, while in jail for, like, being a horrific monster. Uh, but he was broken out of prison by a syndicate known as the Silicon Dragons. To thank them for saving him, Nanaue murdered the Silicon Dragons during his escape and went back to seek refuge with his mother. She kept him safe and also fed him her own arm. Oh my goodness. So the next time you think that your mom is just the best and does everything she possibly could for you, <laughs> be like, she does she still have two arms? And if not, did I actually eat one of them? That's maybe, absolutely nuts. Maybe she has more to give. <laughs> maybe she has more to give. <laughs> um, so Shark King, or sorry, King Shark, sorry, was eventually recaptured and this time with the help of the Superboy, Con L. Mm. Upon recapture, King Shark was assigned to Amanda Waller's Task Force X and sent to finish off the Silicon Dragons with that team. On this outing, King Shark proved himself to be a formidable killing machine and even killed one of his fellow squad members when they got in his way. Oh, wow. Because um, he kind of can't turn it off. <laughs> um, but that makes sense. I mean, he's like half shark deity, which does make him like, you know, half animal. He's got those like animal instincts that I guess sometimes get in the way. Um, and the other half is a mentally ill woman. So maybe that plays into it as well. <laughs> Uh, so later, when King Shark joined the Secret Society of Supervillains, he fought Aquaman. Oh. It was here that he learned that his true father actually was the uh, shark god Shandraka. And King Shark then decided to become his disciple and help him destroy Atlantis. Uh, so that's kind of the end of his continuity, like, before New 52. Uh, so once uh, everything got rebooted in New 52, uh, King Shark is now a hammerhead different and is again the son of a shark god now named camo however in this version he was stolen as an egg by amanda waller and raised to become a member of task force x oh wow yeah so she's like "Ooh, shark egg let's steal this um this version of nanaue is also a lot goofier than his previous incarnation was in the 90s um and he uses shark related humor uh, however, he is hiding a dark sadness inside of him. Uh-huh. Um, also, for some reason, in this version of the comics, he eventually runs away from Task Force X and changes his name to Trixie. He still goes by, like, King Shark as, like, a superhero name. But, like, I guess when he just tells people his, like, quote-unquote real name, he's like, I'm Trixie. Don't know why. Um, it's he... an odd name for a male shark to pick. Yeah, Trixie. I kind of almost, it's got some of the letters of Task Force X in it. I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Oh, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I tried looking it up and I was like, why is he called Trixie? And I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> so. Uh, so he later joins an eco-terrorist group led by Black Manta and fights Damian Wayne's group of Teen Titans. Oh. Yeah. And then after that, he decides to become a peaceful nomad, uh, but he was framed for crimes in Markovia. And after Wonder Woman proved his inner innocence, she convinces Aquaman to allow King Shark to live a new peaceful life in Atlantis, which he agrees to. Hmm. Unfortunately, old habits die hard, and King Shark becomes a prominent crime lord in Atlantis. <laughs> However, when his new home was taken over by Korum Rath, King Shark teams up with Aquaman to bring down this tyrant. Oh, so he does. Okay. He's more of like an anti-hero in that so, in that case. Uh, from what you're telling me, it seems like he's more of uh, like tied in with Aquaman and the Suicide Squad than he is Batman at all. Yeah, he really. Okay, so here's where he ties into Batman. Okay. Um, so in All Star Batman, King Shark is hired by Killer Croc to help him bring down the Caped Crusader. Um, King Shark is, of course, then brought down by Batman, 
by, say it with me, Shark Repellent. <gasps> oh, yay. From the 66 movie. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, he is brought down by that beautiful shark repellent that must come in use sometimes. Yeah, he always has it on his utility belt when he needs it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, you might not be too familiar with King Shark, but he has actually appeared in a whole lot of, uh, other media besides comics in Mm -hmm. the DC universe at large. Um, he was, uh, in the CW show, The Flash, where his origin is completely changed. In that show, he's actually a scientist named Shay Lambden, who injects himself with shark DNA to try and cure cancer. Because <laughs> I guess just, like, nobody had tried that yet. And he's like, oh, you know what? Let's see if this works. Um, and obviously it doesn't, but it does turn you into a giant shark man. Okay. Um, as you mentioned earlier, he's also a recurring character in the Harley Quinn animated series, where I think he is just absolutely delightful. Oh, yeah. He's um, he's one of the funniest characters in that show, I think. Yeah, he's so funny. Uh, he's played by comedian Ron Funches, and when he isn't focused on being, like, a bloodthirsty killing machine, because that show is super violent, uh, he's a chill dude and a good friend. So I like his appearance a lot in that show. Mm. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, he's also been seen in a couple of DC animated films, um... Usually with the Suicide Squad, he was in the Suicide Squad Assault on Arkham, and most recently in the Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, where, as you've kind of alluded to, uh, John Constantine reveals the two of them used to date. (laughs) Which is so weird. It's so good, and it's just a super funny scene, because... John Constantine's standing there, uh, and he's he looks over at Harley, who's standing next to King Shark, and he's like, oh my god, my ex is over there. And someone's like, you did it, Harley? And he's like, no, what do you think, I'm crazy? And like, <laughs> King Shark just kind of like winks at him, which is great. We love uh, bisexual LGBTQ representation in our DC movies. Even when it's uh, between a... Uh alcoholic wizard and a shark man especially when it's between an alcohol wizard and a shark man (laughs) exactly we love it uh great so interestingly king shark was actually originally supposed to appear in the 2016 suicide squad but somewhere in the writing process his character traits were just sort of merged with killer croc this actually does lead to Croc's portrayal in the 2016 movie being a little bit out of character. And that movie's kind of like hard to remember what happens or what's said because here's, it's just such a mess. Here's what I remember from that movie. Uh, there is Enchantress mm-hmm. and she is she herself is the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, she causes a big portal to like end the world or something. Yeah. And that's that's almost the end of what I remember from that movie. The beginning yeah. and end of what I remember from that movie. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember anything with King, with uh, Killer Croc? I mean, it? I remember him being in it. Yeah. I don't really, I couldn't remember to tell you any of his lines. Yeah. I couldn't tell you a, a specific thing that he did in that movie. <laughs> yeah, that movie got an Academy Award because of his makeup. That's true. So. I do remember his makeup being impressive. It was impressive. Uh, I, yeah, that's, that movie was pretty forgettable. So, yeah, his portrayal is a little bit out of character because they sort of like took Killer Croc and then just sort of gave him killer sharks or king sharks um like personality so for example croc at one point says he loves his body whereas in the comic books uh croc is like notoriously like really negative about his appearance and like really dysmorphic like he lives in the sewers because he's ashamed of himself yeah yeah yeah. he's like a freak show or something He's also implied to be, like, an actual, like, crocodile with, like, human traits, like an actual animal. Whereas in the comic, Waylon Jones is just a guy with a really bad skin condition mm-hmm. who happens mm-hmm. to be, like, super tall and super strong. Yeah, 
I think it depends on which continuity though, because sometimes yeah. he is like spliced with Crocs. I usually, think. yeah, he usually just, he's his just original. A guy. Yeah, is just that he has a, a bad skin condition. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Suicide Squad, which is coming out this year, King Shark will again be played by a comedian. Uh, this time it's Steve A.G., who's mostly known for appearing on the Sarah Silverman program. And I'm super hopeful that this version of the character will be a killing machine who also has a really great sense of humor and gets a lot of fun one-liners. Yeah, I hope he has some sharp wit. Ha, shark wit. One famous quote from New 52 that people seem to really love that I hope gets a shout out is, Hello, my name is Trixie. I like to party. (laughs) So every time Killer Shark was brought up online... King Shark, jeez. Every time King Shark's brought up online, somebody always says, like, his name's Trixie. He loves to party. <laughs> so we'll see. That'd be fun. Interesting. I hope he doesn't die early, like with all of these characters we've talked about. Okay. I just think they're all super fun, and they all deserve to have a really good story. And that's all I got about King Shark. Any, okay. Any questions? Uh, no. I think you did a very thorough rundown. I, it was very funny, too, to listen to all the things that he's gone through. Yeah, he's fought a lot of different people. He's got a lot of different facets to his personality. Definitely. And um, he's definitely going to bite somebody's head off. Oh, and for sure. It's going to burnt blood spurt into the sky. Yeah, I mean, that movie's R-rated, right? Probably. Yeah, I think sure. it is. Yeah. I, I don't think that... Um, Oh, shoot. I'm blanking on the director. I don't uh, think James Gunn. Yeah, I don't think he would do it if he wasn't allowed to do it R-rated. No. Um, and R-rated superhero movies do really well. Like, we saw Deadpool did super well. Justice League's going to be R-rated. Uh, yeah, the extended cut. Yeah. The original wasn't. I can't wait. <laughs> can't wait for that. Uh, okay, so would you like to move into today's comic? Let's do it. Okay, today's comic featuring the villain, the Mad Hatter, is Detective Comics number 230, cover date April 1956, The Mad Hatter of Gotham City. Mm. Writer Bill Finger, penciler Sheldon Moldoff, uh, inker Charles Paris, and editor Jack Schiff. It's the crew. It's the regular crew. It's my boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our cover shows Mad Hatter with Batman and Robin tied up in front of a wall full of hats, ready to remove Batman's cowl. Uh, and it looks like Mad Hatter has also already stolen the Flash's helmet that has wings on it. Oh, he has. It's like hanging up on the wall. Okay, what is he? Got? He's got a, a pilgrim's hat. He's got a... Like a Sherlock Holmes deer stalker. Yeah. A turban. A tricorn. A tricorn. This just looks like a fireman's hat. Just a regular hat. fireman's hat. Top hat, a fez. <laughs> and he's got one that says, reserved for Batman. I wonder, like, is he going to put his head on there? Yeah. Yeah. No, he's just just wants the cowl. Just the cowl. He's got one of those hats that, uh, uh, what are they called? The, those guys who have, like, canes and, and talk at carnivals. A, a carnival barker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got one of those hats on A dandy hat. (laughs) Yeah. Is what I want to call it. Okay. Um, I really like this internal cover too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With him in the the hazmat suit helmet. Yeah. I just, I I read it and I scrolled down and I was like, that is hilarious. Yeah, it looks, makes him look like a robot or something. He does. I love it. Okay. Before we even get into the comic, I need to talk about the advertisement that is on the interior here. Um, Stuart greeting cards has a big ad, full page ad here. Need extra spending money? Here's $50 to use as you please. 
and and the write up is about a greeting card company where you order cards through them and then sell them at a 100% markup to your friends and family mm. to in order to raise money. It's like a fundraiser type thing. So you get a package of 21 cards and uh, it costs you 50 cents and you sell them for a dollar. Um, they don't actually give you $50, so the, the big headline thing is not correct. Mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, some examples of things that you can buy with that the kids who are reading this comic could buy with that extra money that they make from doing this fundraising. Uh, they comic show a, a radio, a, a bike, a camera, a typewriter, mm. and luggage hmm. you could buy luggage this this child who's selling greeting cards to his friends and family could buy a new set of luggage yeah take his parents on a nice vacation uh, um yeah and then i think there's also uh in this there's like uh an examples of like testimonials of how much money these like other children have made by selling greeting cards okay um also pretty good deal honestly 21 cards for a dollar I did the conversion, and that's uh, nine dollars and sixty-two cents in today's money. All right. You can't get a greeting card for like less than five bucks. Even if you buy them in bulk, they're still like more expensive than they were here. Hmm. Greeting cards are a scam. Okay. Print out your own. Buy a printer and print out your own. Okay. <laughs> you're always the person who, like, every single holiday, you're like, I have to go to the Hallmark store. I need a card for this, and it's like cards are worthless. Who needs them? I'm you're like- standing right there. You can be like, it's from me. <laughs> There's no mystery. You can't write a little, like, note inside. You can't write a note if you're standing there. You're literally the only person who I write cards to, and I didn't even do it this year. (laughs) I only ever really write you a note in a greeting card on, like, our anniversary. We save greeting cards. Which was last week. And yeah, I do save greeting cards. We save greeting cards that have nice things in them. Yeah. It's worth it. It's definitely worth it to give someone a greeting card. They can hold on but to only it. only if you're going to write something really nice in it. Yeah. Don't just buy a greeting card and be like, oh, that's a nice sentiment. And then just like send it with your name on and the bottom. Like, Happy birthday. Yeah. Just write like a good note. Or even if it's just like, you know, I hope you have a wonderful New Year's or I hope you have a wonderful Christmas or whatever. No, even that. I'm throwing that away. <laughs> It needs to have a really, it needs like a paragraph at least for you to hold on to Oh my goodness, it. jeez. A paragraph. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, let's get back to the comic here. Okay, let's get into the actual comic. Okay. So Past the ads. Opening panel, we see uh, a radio that's giving a news report that the Mad Hatter has stolen a hat that was once worn by George Washington. Mm. Uh, and we also see the Mad Hatter here. Uh, he tells us his name is Jervis Tetch. And he tells his singular henchman that he has about his hat collecting hobby, uh, which has required him to steal hats from museums. So this is really weird to me that he has like a hat collection of like historic hats as well as like hats from around the world. Um, Because it's actually extremely difficult to keep old clothes looking pristine. That's why you don't really see like too many like super old clothing in museums because like it's super difficult to like keep them from just like disintegrating and falling apart they have to keep them in like temperature controlled environments and stuff yeah they do because if you get them like too moist i think like the the whatever it's made of will like bunch together or, or start to like grow mold or something yeah you know so, um, like, the Smithsonian actually has an outfit that belonged to George Washington. Oh. Um, and the National Archives have the af- outfit that Jackie Kennedy was wearing the day her husband was assassinated. But 
the public can't see it until 2103 because of like a deed that uh, the Kennedy family signed. Jeez. That was like, okay, you can have this, but you can't show it to anybody for a hundred years. And in a hundred years, we get to decide if that's the right moment to like let people see wow. it. Wow. What did you say? 21 something? 2103. A hundred years from 2003, which is when it was signed by Caroline wow. Kennedy. Wow. Yeah. So maybe someday we'll get are, to see it. Are there pictures of it? Um, there's the one picture of her wearing it on Air Force One where, um, You can LBJ see the blood is, splatter? You can't really see it, no. Oh, okay. It's LBJ getting sworn in and the blood was on the other side, but, like, she wore that thing until the next morning. Wow. Yeah, crazy. That's nuts. Um, and she was like, no, I want people, and people were like, Jackie, do you want to change? And she's like, no, I... I want them to see what they've done to my husband. Okay. That was a very dark digression. Sorry about that. This is a comedy podcast. But I thought it was really interesting that, like, Jervis Tetch would not be able to, like, keep all of these historical hats looking super good in just his, like, random mansion. So according to Becca, uh, Jervis Tetch is, is ruining these hats. He's ruining George Washington's hats. <laughs> uh, let's see. He explains that his crazy hats on the wall to his henchmen, including a boomerang hat, which comes from Australian natives, a drum hat, which was used by Native Americans in some sort of uh, ritual, uh, stone hats, which uh, are just stones on sticks that people put on their head, uh, used by the, what he says, Yapa Island natives, and a cage hat, uh, which was used by South Americans to carry their hunting hawks. So all of these... I didn't know that there were so many interesting different hats from around the world. So all of these hats are just, like, vaguely racist. I feel <laughs> that's one thing. And then you asked me to look up if any of them are real, and my cursory research didn't bring up anything resembling any of these hats. Okay. So it seems like they are all probably fictional. They're all just made up for the yeah, comic. they're not real. They couldn't come up with they couldn't come up with more interesting hats, and so they just made them up. And we're like, ah, uh, some some native culture uses this kind of hat. I guess so. <laughs> I guess it was boring for him to be like. And then I went to London. I I bought a trilby. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they had him steal George Washington's hat from a museum. Couldn't they have had him be like? And then I stole Winston Churchill's hat. And yeah. Then, I mean, I don't know. He could steal, like, you know, famous movie prop hats. This, this is this is laziness on the writer's this part. This is the you hat think, worn by Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln 2012. You think they should have gone to, like, the encyclopedia at the library, looked up famous hats. Yeah, <laughs> instead, I do. Of, instead of making them up. The very first hat that Harry Houdini pulled a rabbit out of. The other thing I wanted to mention is the Yappa Islands that he mentions don't exist. Yeah, there's the Isle of Yap. Which is like, uh, was used as a Japanese military base in World War II. Yeah. And it's like a, it's a Pacific Island that did have natives. Mm -hmm. um, I think they used like stone currency I read. Mm -hmm. This is literally just me like bringing it up on Google and, and doing like a very cursory look. Yeah. Um, but they did not wear stone hats no. as far as we can tell. Looks like it would hurt. But he says that they used it to strengthen their neck muscles. Okay. Which is the opposite of what the, those actual, what is it, the Indian people who put the rings around their necks? Or mm -hmm. is that Africa? That's Africa. Okay. Yeah. They like stretch their necks out and it makes their necks very weak. Yeah. But long. And, and to them, beautiful. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. So yeah. We also see uh, Ned Dalton's hat, uh, which is a sombrero uh, of a famed outlaw 
that has a concealed Derringer pistol in it. I also couldn't figure out if Ned Dalton was a real person. Okay. I googled that and nothing came up either. It sounds like a real name, but yeah. maybe that's just because somebody made it up to sound like it was a real, <laughs> like, outlaw's name. I guess. Okay. Um, and then he shows off the empty hook that he has for Batman's cowl, which will be able to, which he will be able to get because the newspaper prints a list of Batman's public appearances. Strange. <laughs> Especially since one of these appearances is literally just him going to like an artist's studio by himself. <laughs> and does not seem like a public yeah. appearance. So like why, if, if the newspaper publishes Batman's public appearances every week, how come he's not flooded by fans everywhere he goes? Or is it just that seeing Batman in Gotham City is such a common occurrence that yeah. nobody really cares? Well, you know, unless he's like on his way to a mystery, it's like, oh, cool, Batman's doing another like charity event, I guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, we saw in the last comic that we read that when he speeds through town, all the kids go like, woo, get him, Batman, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, very interesting. I don't know. It's it's odd that they uh, there's there's so many odd things about '60s Batman or well, I guess late late '50s mm-hmm. Batman uh, that he's like a, a deputized member of the police and that he just like shows up at like stuff in the middle of the day. He does police barbecues. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very odd. It's funny when you think about that. Like almost every single modern iteration of Batman always has him with some sort of adversarial relationship with the police. Yeah, he's always like running like, from the law. Vigilantism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I I kind of wanted to talk about this. I don't know. We can cut this out if you want to. Uh-huh. But I wanted to mention that comic that I had you read where uh, he's like going after a, a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And he tells Robin, he's like, you know, we, we operate on the edges of the law, but we still operate within the law. Mm-hmm. Which it was in, that was a comic from like the 80s or something. Yeah. So even, even in the 80s in the Bronze Age, he's still like working with the police and is like on the up and up kind of. Yeah. That comic gets a thousand cool points because the actual murderer turns out to be the sister of, or no, so the murderer gets murdered by the sister of one of his victims, mm-hmm. and one of the police officers are like, "Well, you committed a crime. You're you're gonna go to jail." And she looks him in the eye and she's like, "Find a jury that would convict me." Oh, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> Great." Um, I, I, you know, I'll put the number of that comic in the descript- description if I remember. Okay. Um, it's got a cover with Batman just holding a knife in front of his face. It's good. It is a good comic. But Our next podcast will be all about the Bronze Age. A great, a great one-off. Um, okay. So, because his uh, public appearances are listed, we fast forward to the next day, where the dynamic duo are heading over to the Green Derby restaurant, which has a comically large hat on top of it. It looks like the Riddler's hat. It does. Yeah, yeah. it does. It's, it's like, like a, a green bowler. It's a 20 to 30 foot tall green bowler on top of a restaurant. Yeah, I wonder if he owns it. Um, and they're there at the restaurant to honor a film director of a pri- of crime prevention movies. Mm-hmm. What does that mean um sounds to me like psas like being okay like, crime doesn't pay if you rob a bank you'll go to jail i mean that doesn't sound like a movie to me mm-hmm. right you i wouldn't call those movies you, it's like um like short films that get shown in like health class i guess so yeah okay um so we in have the dare program <laughs> a masked mad hatter and henchmen are sitting on top of the restaurant and they lasso batman from the roof 
as he walks by and pull him up to remove his cowl. His goon is really strong. What? Batman is like 250 pounds <laughs> of just like pure raw muscle. And this guy's just able to like pull like a wriggling the, muscular man. I think they're both pulling, aren't they? Uh, it looks like it's just the goon. Oh, he wow. Does not get a name. <laughs> no, he never does. You're right. No. <laughs> He's just like Mad Hatter's henchman and he never gets a name. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, they pull him up to the roof. They attempt- Oh no. Yeah, his name is Pete. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Sorry, Pete. Uh, they pull him up to the roof. They attempt to take his, his cowl off, but Robin stops them by thinking quickly and, uh, grabbing a nearby doorman's hat and throwing it, (laughs) throwing it up to the Mad Hatter who is in a little mask. I really just love that Mad Hatter doesn't really seem to care about Batman's secret identity at all. He's really just in it for the rare hat. Yeah, I mean, he's it's for the thrill of the chase. For the, for, for the thrill of the hat. For the thrill of the hat. Um, so, yeah, Robin creates a distraction by throwing a hat at them. And then this gives Batman a chance to, like, wriggle loose from the, from the lasso that's around him. But... He doesn't have enough time to catch the villains who escape in a car, uh, which leaves the dynamic duo unaware of their actual identities and uh, what their intentions were. They, mm. they sort of just think that this was an attempt to unmask Batman instead of like in connection with Mad Hatter's crimes. So they don't know it was Mad Hatter yet. They just think it was some hooligan yep. trying to unmask the bats. Mm-hmm. So now we go on to the next day. Uh, Batman shows up for an appointment with a sculptor. Yes. This is another one of his publicized uh, meetings, uh, whose name is Broomer. Um, and <laughs> Broomer is creating a statue of Batman, which was commissioned by the city. Mm-hmm. Your tax dollars at work. Doesn't, isn't that in Justice League? There's like statues of all of them. Yeah. Or am I thinking about Six Flags? <laughs> No, I think they have statues of them, but it's in like it's in front of the Hall of Justice. Yeah. So that I would assume that that came out of like the Justice League's budget. Budget, yeah. They got a budget out of their bank account. Yeah, that came from uh, the planet that houses all of the world's gold. They just siphoned a little off the top, <laughs> paying artists to make fifty foot statues of all of them. Yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. Like I, again, like it's just the, the shows the difference between like modern day Batman and old Batman is mm-hmm. that like. This city is like, oh yeah, sure, we'll we'll use taxpayer dollars to create a sculpture of Batman. Everyone will love it. <laughs> of a masked vigilante. I also love the pose that he takes where he's like, it's like an action pose of him like with his uh, cape kind of like across his face a little bit. Oh, like, it's the, yeah, it's sort of the classic Batman with the cape in front of him. Yeah. Uh, you know. Which is not really like how you would want a statue. You don't really want like a, like a, a, a dominating statue to be one that's like in motion. He should just be like standing there. No, that's not true. There's maybe, like maybe there, doing finger guns. There's statues of of like war generals and stuff where they're like you know on their horse and they got their sword raised to the air and stuff. I guess. I I don't know. I think it works. It works. I it's guess. iconic. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I also want to point out that you can see really clearly in this panel that um, this artist uh, looks like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> And I just think that's pretty important. That's true. He's wearing a, a big white coat and has a uh, big, like, wispy white hair and, and a beard. A big wispy beard. Yeah. And he's eating fried chicken. No, he's not eating fried <laughs> chicken. Prove me wrong. Read the comic. <laughs> 
Uh, the sculptor, who is a disguised hatter, says that he cannot get the head right and asks Batman to take off the cowl and hand it to him from a dressing room. That was actually a really good twist that I did not see coming. Yeah. That it yeah. turned out to be Mad Hatter. In disguise, In yeah. In disguise. Yeah, well, he's like, he's like don't worry, like, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to take your cowl off in front of me. Just go in that dressing room, take it off. I'll, I'll, like, look at it, make sure I can get the head of the statue right, and then, you know, I'll give it back to you. You can put it back on. Mm. Um, but, uh, Batman, so Batman complies with the request, uh, but just as the fake Broomer is about to knock out Robin, Batman bursts out of the dressing room wearing a hat over his face. I thought it was interesting because it kind of looks like he's wearing like a Zorro hat and mask combo, which is a nice oh. little reference to like the original origin of Batman at, uh, when his parents died, they were leaving, at the Mark of Zorro. They were leaving the Mark. Of I don't Zorro. think that that was canon at this point. Was it not? No, I don't think so. What is it in the very first like Detective Comics? Uh, we, actually, we have a, a comic on our list of comics that we can go over where it shows like Batman's dad or something mm. and and how uh, he became Batman or something like that. All right. Well, I guess tune into that episode for the answer to this question <laughs> months from now. Yeah, whenever we decide to cover it. I also like that um, it looks like Mad Hatter was going to bash Robin's head in with a mallet. Oh, yeah. Very family friendly. Yeah, he was he was using it's the same mallet that he was using as uh, like a chisel to, with the chisel. Yeah. To, to get the uh, the sculpt. That sounds pretty violent. Why? He was going to bash his head in. What, hitting a teenager with a giant mallet? Yeah. <laughs> What's so violent about that? A lot. Okay. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Batman bursts forth, takes down, well, it doesn't take him down, like, lunges at him, gets Robin out of, out of the way of danger, um, but the fake Broomer is able to get away by toppling a statue and climbing another statue up to the skylight to, to get, get away. Um, Batman explains that he realized that the sculptor was an imposter because he saw that his hands were not calloused like a real sculptor's would be. The ball of his left thumb. Yeah, which would be, be holding, holding the chisel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I was like, detectiving. Yeah. He's he does, doing it. He does it. Look at, look at him finding clues. The world's greatest detective. He's like Sherlock out here, <laughs> seeing the clues written in front of his eyes. Uh, yeah, they, so they save the they save the real, real sculptor who reveals to them that it was the Mad Hatter who threw him in the closet. Now it all makes sense. Yep, now it all makes sense. They know that uh, the Mad Hatter is trying to take Batman's cowl for himself. And uh, so, yeah, we move on to day three of this comic. <laughs> Batman and Robin are visiting an atomic energy testing facility. Yeah, that's somewhere Batman would go. Why? For a public appearance. For a public appearance, he goes to an atomic... There's no reason for him to be here. Well, he uses science to solve crimes sometimes. So maybe he has to be at the cutting edge of uh, new technology. Okay, I guess I guess that's a decent explanation as to why he's here. Thank you. The ghost of Bill Finger talked through me. <laughs> uh, during this tour of this atomic energy facility... Batman's cowl begins glowing, uh, and they're like, oh, you, you probably should take that off. But Batman is like, no way. <laughs> he thinks this is another trick, and Batman tells Robin to apprehend the tour guide. I'm not taking my cowl off, even if it gives me cancer. Get him, Robin. <laughs> I not a direct it. quote, but, but same sentiment. Yep, 
Um, the tour guide is like a professor or something we see later in the comic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the tour guide is not in disguise. And I love that Robin, who's a genius boy detective, to figure out this man is not the Mad Hatter, first just decides to like pull on his beard to see if it's real. Yeah, he's like, the beard's real, Batman. Beard's real, <laughs> checks not, out. Didn't he's not use, an imposter. Didn't use spirit glue. Very real. Yeah. Um, so the cow actually really sets off a Geiger counter. So Batman is like, well, I guess I do have to take it off. Um, he swaps headgear with a lab worker who goes and decontaminates the cowl, mm. but doesn't return oh, no. because the Mad Hatter really knocked out the real lab technician and was posing as one of the lab technicians so he could steal the cowl. So he just leaves with the cowl. So my theory is correct that he doesn't care about who Batman really is. He just wants the cowl. Yeah. Couldn't Batman just take the L and go get another cowl? He must have dozens. Well, the weird thing is you would think, right, that he has dozens. They rip really easily, I'm sure. You know, he gets punched a lot. They get ripped constantly in Rebirth. He's always, like, got, like, half of his face exposed because, like, Mm. he just got thrown across three states by Bane. Like, come on. But, okay, I, I will, see, I see that, but okay. I, I would like to tell you that later on in the comic, he does not have a replacement. He continues to wear the uh, lab technician helmet for the rest of the comic. I just don't, he's a billionaire. Why couldn't he have Lucius make him a couple of cowls? Again, Lucius hasn't been in, in, introduced oh. yet. Who makes his cowls? I don't know, Alfred? him. You know, him. All right. Make another one, Bruce. Is that that one knows how to sew. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Hatter speeds away and uh, explains his plan. Uh, he was he was one step ahead. The chemical that he used reacted. He used on the cowl, so he sprayed a chemical on the cowl, and it reacted with the fumes of cobalt in the lab, um, which caused it to glow. So okay, so now Mad Hatter has a radioactive hat that he's just going to bring into his home. I think he actually decam- decontaminated it first. He does. Well, he decontaminates it after he gets home. It's with him in the car. Oh, it's still glowing in the yeah. car? Oh, okay. Um, and like, is this the origin story of his madness? Question mark? Uh, we will go over that in Rogue Roundup. Do you want me to wait until that to go into my whole thing about? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Put a pin in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so meanwhile, Batman borrows a super sensitive Geiger counter from the lab, which he uses to follow the Hatter's car to his hideout in the Batplane. Um, as Hatter places the uh, quote-unquote crowning touch on his wall, the dynamic duo with their with uh, the Masked Manhunter still wearing that helmet from the lab mm. bursts through the door. Thinking fast, Hatter pulls the Derringer revolver from the sombrero on the wall, and uh, Batman is like, "Whoa, okay, hold, you know, hold back, Robin. Let he, it looks like he's won." Here's another direct quote: "We can't possibly stop him. He has a tiny gun." <laughs> so, like, say what you want about the Kevlar, but like, guns are not much of a problem for Batman anymore. Yeah, yeah, he always has like bulletproof stuff, which yeah. he doesn't have in the '60s. Like, no. in you know, <laughs> it's just cloth. It's it's a skin tight suit or whatever. Mm-hmm. He looks great. He does Very look un- great. unprotected, though. Incredibly. Even even Adam West with the little paunch. Yeah, a little skinny fat. <laughs> R.I.P. Love him. Uh, yeah, so Batman says, you know, hold up. 
and stops to admire the hats on the wall, listing the impressive hats that Mad Hatter has, uh, uh, <laughs> what is it, what's the word, like acquired, yeah. collected. Yeah, um, his impressive be- collection. Before he grabs the turban which is on the wall and unfurls it to whip the gun away out of Mad Hatter's hand. Yes, he defeats the villain with a towel snap. <laughs> you love to see it. Uh, well, then he's able to arrest Mad Hatter. Um, and Mad Hatter, at the end of the comic, we see Mad Hatter comes away from a trial. Uh, he sees a windblown hat on the ground and laments about how easily he could, uh, get a ordinary hat, but not Batman's hat. Mm-hmm. And little do we realize that this windblown hat actually belongs to the real Batman, Bruce Wayne. Ooh, what a twist. Who is there at his court hearing or there outside the courthouse when he had his hearing. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because Jervis doesn't care about Bruce Wayne. He doesn't care who Batman is. Yeah. He just wants the hat. He does. Yeah. That cow. All about that hat. Um, great. Yeah. So moral of the story, um... Have like more than one set of your costume because yeah. you're gonna lose it. <laughs> it's gonna get ripped. And yeah, even if just for like you know, if it gets ripped, you can wear another one without having to stop and fix the first one. Yeah, just keep it in your back pocket. <laughs> I, I think the modern Batman, he always has a costume in like different places. Like he's got one in the Batcave. He usually has one in the trunk of whatever car he's driving. Yeah, you're thinking about an Arkham when you can like go to different places and like change your outfit. No, 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 no. I'm saying like in media and stuff too. All right. Like there's a lot of times when in like movies or in like video games or something where he's like, you know, Alfred, you know, pull the car over. I gotta go get, go go in the trunk and grab my Batman costume. All right. Uh, okay, yeah, and that's the end of the comic, and, Mm -hmm. uh, we just said the moral of the story. I also wanted to mention, later on in the comic, so this is, because this is a detective comics, it's, uh, Batman and then Martian Manhunter is the second one. Uh, I I think it's either inside of that Martian Manhunter or right before the Martian Manhunter comic. There's this, like, there's this one-page write-up, or maybe two-page write-up about detectives, like, real-world detectives, and it, it tells these stories about how detectives learned different trades uh, in order to, like, bust criminals. Hmm. So I think the, the first story they tell is about a, a, a detective that learned how to be, like, a, a printer technician to bust a ring of counterfeiters. Mm-hmm. And then they, they talk about another one who, like, uh, learned how to be a mechanic for, like, a couple of months in order to, I don't know, bust somebody who was selling cars or something like that. That's very cool. It is. It's really interesting. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything confirming that this kind of stuff still happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's an interesting story. What do you mean? Detectives going undercover? Well, yeah, but like, you know, learning their trades that well. Because the, the the little story write-up sort of implies that like, you know, if the detective were to lose his job as a detective, he could always go and like still be a printer uh, technician <laughs> or, or a mechanic or whatever. <laughs> you know, if he wanted to, because he learned the trade, like he actually learned the trade. Interesting. Yep. Okay. So that's all I have to say about the comic. Great. I think it is time to move into Rogue Roundup. Rogue Roundup. So let's talk about Mad Hatter. Mm-hmm. The the we just touched on his first Silver Age appearance, um, and we are going to talk about his Golden Age appearance. So he was created by uh, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and then the artist who drew him in his first appearance was Lou Sayer uh, Schwartz. And uh, so Mad Hatter, a.k.a. Jervis Tetch, first appears in Batman number 49, which is his first and only Golden Age appearance, Mm -hmm. uh, in 1948. 
He's much similar in appearance in this first uh, comic to his modern age uh, portrayals. He's a short man with a goofy complexion and like short brown hair. Um, he plays off the whole Alice in Wonderland aesthetic. He's got a big, big tall hat. He's a, uh, you know, a short man. He doesn't say a lot about the Alice in Wonderland, though. I think in the comic, he's sitting at a, at a set of like a local production that's putting on Alice in Wonderland. Okay. And I think Robin makes like an Alice in Wonderland reference or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's, that's sort of the extent of it. He has trick hats in this first appearance, uh, which is something that he does use in, in later incarnations. Um, but he doesn't have his, his more, uh, well-known stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, his mind he, control. He, he's not actually named in this first comic. So mm -hmm. we don't get the Jervis Tetch name until this Silver Age appearance when he actually says it. Um, so the man that we see in this comic, the tall redheaded man, is revealed to be an imposter Ooh. in a 1981 storyline. And uh, this man goes by Hat Man later on. Okay. <laughs> Love it. He continues using, like, the Mad Hatter, uh, like, gimmick, I guess. But he goes by a different name to uh, distance himself from the Mad Hatter who he was impersonating. Okay. Well, um, I mean, you gotta, you gotta get recognition for your crimes. That's what it's all about. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't until the Bronze Age that... Mad Hatter begins using his famous mind control hats, mm. which are like the big thing that everybody knows about Mad Hatter if they're big Batman fans. Uh, he has mind control hats. Um, and th this is also the era where he begins his delusions of Wonderland, uh, where he, <laughs> in one comic, drugs children and has them dress up and wear costumes uh, and uh, like to, to represent the characters in Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. Uh, and also kidnaps women and forces them to be Alice. At one point, uh, kidnaps Barbara Gordon and oh, no. asks, asks her to be Alice. Oh, it's horrifying. For him. I read, I read that he, I don't know like, if this was like one particular storyline, mm -hmm. he would kidnap them, make them dress up as Alice, and then sell them into slavery. Oh, geez. So it got dark for a while there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's different, different incarnations of him imply different things about him. Sometimes yeah. it's implied that he, you know, like like rapes the girls or touches the girls. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's implied that he's like a pedophile, but then sometimes he's just like a weird dude. Yeah. Who, who is like, wants to play dress up. Yeah. Living in a fantasy world. So it's, it's very odd. Like the, the different portrayal, it kind of depends on what the, I guess where the writer wants to go with it, yeah. how dark he gets. Yeah. Um, and it's always he. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Batman. Uh, Let's see. He he often quotes Lewis Carroll's book in 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 the Bronze Age, and he at one point has a, a pet chimp uh, that is named Carol Lewis. Hmm, I love it, <laughs> which is pretty stupid. Um, in addition to mind control hats, he also uses hypnosis sometimes on mm. his victims. So, like without his mind control technology, he can also still like affect people's minds. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. I was going to jump a little bit here. Um, he's a member of the Secret Six super villain team. Um, he often works with uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum. There's actually a storyline where Tweedledee and Tweedledum, who are Batman villains, um, that are exactly what they sound like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're like, you know, villains who represent... Two people. big guys who look like eggs. Exactly. And they're usually henchmen for the Mad Hatter. Mm -hmm. Actually, I theorize that um, there's two people... There's like twins, 
actors who were hired for the Batman, which is coming next year. And I was like, ooh, maybe they're playing Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah. Um, There's actually a storyline where they use Mad Hatter's tech against him and like force him to become the leader of the Wonderland gang. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Fun. Um, Let's see here. Uh, yeah, the, the, I, I think I'm going to go over notable portrayals, unless you want to talk about, like, Mad Hatter's. The madness, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I kind of mentioned back in there that, like, is this the source of his madness? Because Jervis Touch obviously has something wrong with him. The article that I read uh, diagnosed it as schizophrenia, hmm. which, you know, he's got delusions. I guess you could say he hears voices. Um, I would say just general, like, delusions mm-hmm, would be mm-hmm. more what... I am not a doctor, but I would diagnose him with. Okay. Um, so do you know much about like the like literary Mad Hatter and like kind of the implications behind him? Well, okay. A little I, bit? I haven't read Alice in Wonderland. Really? I, no, I actually haven't. Oh my God. You gotta. <laughs> it's a quick read. You should. I mean, I've seen like, you know, the, the Disney parts of the Disney movie. So yeah. I know kind of like the general and because it's so, so popular in, 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 in like pop culture. Yeah. Um, it's frustrating yet whimsical. Okay. If you wanted to follow a coherent storyline, you're gonna have a bad wasn't time. The, wasn't Lewis Carroll just like high on opium when he wrote the whole thing? Probably. Okay. Unconfirmed. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, the reason why the Mad Hatter, people think possibly, uh, is that uh, milliners, or, you know, hat makers as they're called, uh, used mercury back in like, you know, old English days. Mm-hmm. Um, it was to, like part of the hat making process. Yeah. It, so mercury was used to stabilize wool in a process known as felting to create felt hats. Oh. Um, and since they had prolonged exposure to mercury, milliners would often develop a condition known as arethism, which uh, causes behavioral changes like depression, irritability, delirium, and memory loss. So that's what kind of started the phrase mad as a hatter, which first appeared in print in an 1829 issue of Blackwood's Edinburgh Magazine. <laughs> uh, so Lewis Carroll himself never confirmed that his Mad Hatter suffered from erethism. Uh, he was inspired by a friend of his who is an eccentric furniture dealer named Theophilius Carter, who <laughs> did not have mercury poisoning. He was just kind of a weird guy. <laughs> so that's where the phrase Mad as a Hatter comes from, and possibly the origins of the Mad Hatter, but unconfirmed by Lewis Carroll, who was probably on opium when somebody asked him that question. <laughs> he doesn't know. Okay, okay. So that's all we need to know about Mad as a Hatter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can go into uh, portrayals. I have I have one. You asked me to, to mention if there was a famous portrayal of the Mad Hatter that I wanted to talk about, and I do. Okay. So you're going to touch him on it first. So, so uh, he was portrayed by David Wayne in the 66 television series. And uh, th- there's actually a plot in the 66 television series, which is quite similar to what we see in the comic, mm-hmm. um, where he like makes Batman's hat ra- or cowl radioactive so he can try and take it from him. It, it ends a little differently. There's like, a, you know, different stuff that happens in it. But it's a, it, you can tell that they were directly inspired by this comic. Mm. Um, he was portrayed by Benedict Samuel in the Gotham television series. Um, and in Gotham, he... He's just like a hypnotist okay. uh, who can like control people by hypnotizing them. Great. Um, and he was voiced by Roddy McDowell in Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. 
Which is what I wanted to talk about. Okay. For Chance to Dream. Oh my goodness. What the a great episode. Best episode of Batman the Animated Series. Actually, no. Baby Doll's the best episode. Second best episode of Batman the Animated Series. There's so many good episodes Perchan- you're, you're skipping over. <laughs> no. Perchance- okay, so Baby Doll's number one. For Chance to Dream's number two. Third is uh, Joker Christmas. Joker's Millions. Oh, Joker's Christmas is good And then too. the rest of them are trash. No. No. Uh, almost got him. Okay, so uh, yeah, Perchance to Dream is a really, really amazing uh, Batman the Animated Series episode, mostly because it's a mystery for like most of the episode. You have just no idea what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, long story short, Bruce Wayne is in an explosion. He wakes up in his bed. Alfred's there. Everything seems normal. But until he mentions like, oh, did Robin save me? And Alfred's like, who's Robin? Some girl you met last night? And he's like, Alfred, what are you what are you talking about? And he's like, I don't know. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then he goes down to his library and he can't get into the Batcave. And then his parents walk in. And that's when things get really weird. Yeah. So uh, the end of the episode, he wakes, he, he, he ends up in this dream world where he has everything he could ever want. His parents are alive. He still gets like the benefit of being a rich millionaire without having to do anything in his company. Yeah. He's engaged to Selena Kyle. But there is one weird thing because uh, there is a Batman. Yeah, that's the weird thing. That that isn't there's already him. a Batman yeah. out there doing the job, which is kind of nice. He's like, okay, cool. I don't have to save Gotham. Um, so at the end of the episode, he, he lures Batman up to a clock tower and they have a big fight. And then he rips off the cowl almost like in this comic, to reveal that it's actually the Mad Hatter underneath. Mm. And that's when he's able to wake up from the dream, fights the real Mad Hatter who had been mind-controlling him. He says, I was willing to give you whatever life you wanted just to keep you out of mine. That's so great. It's really good. And he, like, freaks out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's actually interesting. Uh, One of of my favorite Batman podcasts that isn't ours mm -hmm. uh, just went over an episode of the Justice League where something similar happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called uh, For the Man Who Has Everything. And it's where like this space being latches onto Superman and gives him a version of his life where... um, like Krypton never blew up. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after Batman wrestled it off of Superman, it latches onto Batman and gives him a world where his parents never died. Crazy. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's again, it's kind of a go-to like we said with the booster gold thing that we covered. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a go-to of like, you know, what if Batman parents hadn't died? What would your perfect life look like? Uh, I already have it. Aww. <laughs> it would be just like this, except I wouldn't have to work and I'd live on a tropical island. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and I'd have a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Uh, I'm materialistic. What can I say? Uh, I, I want to talk about um, the fact that he's one of the most interesting parts of the Arkham City game. Okay. Where he drops Batman into a dream world in that. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a similar deal where he, he lures Batman in by, you know... Uh, leaving clues for him around and then when Batman is like vulnerable he swaps his cow out for a mind control cow which then Batman has to fight through the dream world to like wake up from it Mm -hmm. Uh, and very interesting to uh, do that instead of the scarecrow things again yeah yeah and i think it happens uh in arkham origins too Mm -hmm. where uh, again he he gets like plunged into a dream world and has to fight his way out of it Mm -hmm. 
Um, but yeah, cool. it's it's very interesting. Just the the fact that he can, I just control people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe there was a storyline in the Bronze Age where he controlled like almost all of the police force too. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he, he gets like Montoya to like rob a bank for him. Yeah, it's crazy. Which is cool. It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, Let's see here. I wanted to go over his origins. So in the gold age, golden age, he doesn't really have an origin. He's just sort of like a guy who steals stuff and has like a Alice in Wonderland gimmick. Mm -hmm. Um, In post crisis, uh, he is obsessed with Lewis Carroll. He works on mind control at Wayne Enterprises, much like the Riddler does in Batman Forever. Um, and then, you know, becomes what we know as the Mad Hatter, commits crimes using it, that sort of stuff. Uh, in the New 52, he has hypergonadism, which, uh, stops him from growing to, like, a full-sized man. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the testosterone drugs that he takes lead to his mental instability. Oh, great. (laughs) That's a great message. Yeah, really. For the people out there. New 52 sucks. Okay. (laughs) Awkward. Yeah, and I couldn't find anything really about him in, like, Rebirth, but I'm assuming that his Rebirth kind of reverts back to the post-crisis. Yeah, I think he's one of the people who Bane breaks out of Arkham to, like, be there. So he's like, we're all gonna fight you, Batman. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I think they're, the, at least where I stopped reading, he's not really a major character. Yeah, he's just sort of, he's one of the rogues. He, he's one of Batman's rogues, pretty famous rogues. And I think we've covered pretty much everything about him. Is there any other, like, major thing that I missed? Um, there's actually a storyline. I don't think this was New 52. I want to say maybe this was post-crisis, though. Okay. Where he's, like, actually kind of a good guy. He, like, lives in a, like, um, like a boarding house with this lady. And her daughter gets pregnant. And he, like, helps, like, kind of protect her from these, like, boys who are, like, harassing her. And that's, like, the first crime he commits is he, like, blows up, like, the football team's locker room. Oh, yeah. Because they were harassing this, like, pregnant girl. That, yeah, that's his post-crisis origin. Yeah. So that was, that was like, late 80s. He's kind of a good guy. Mm, he, he blows up, he blows up teenagers. Uh, either of you mean. <laughs> Moral of the story, don't be mean. Or somebody might blow up your locker room. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. You never know who's got a crazy friend. I think that that is all we have to say about Manhattan. Yeah. And that is the end of the episode. That's the end of the episode. We do have an email address, and we would really, really love to hear from you guys. We want feedback, everyone. We want feedback. You know what? Here's You you mentioned we should have a call to action. Yes. Um, If you have been listening to the podcast, please send us an email at batmatespodcast at gmail.com and tell us who your favorite Batman villain is. And we will announce it um, on the next episode who our collective pool of listeners' favorite Batman villain is. And maybe we'll even do an episode about them if we haven't yet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'd love to hear your feedback. Tell us anything you like or dislike about the show. Again, that's batmatespodcast at gmail.com. And if you write something really cool and funny, we will read it on the show. Definitely. That's a promise. That is a promise. Um, Great. So yeah, our uh, theme song was composed by Ben Dean. You can find him at tinyurl.com slash B-E-N-D-E-A-N-E. And our logo was designed by Savannah Storm. You can find her on Instagram at art.by.savvys. And we love you. Yeah. See you next week, everybody. Jabberwocky, Jabberwocky. Uh, Twas a brillig and the slithy toves did gyre and jimble in the wabe. And I do know the whole poem, but I won't subject you to that. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye, everybody.